0: Well, we're in our final week of a series titled Domino Effect. This series focused on Paul's letter to the Colossians. And during this series, I've come to have a deeper appreciation for this letter. There are some dynamic spiritual truths that are contained in it. Last week, we looked at how we are to take off the old ways, the old clothes, the dictates, rules of the world... And put on new spiritual clothing and practices that make our life a blessing to ourselves and to others. Today we're going to get deeper into the practical. Today's text, it really kind of gets right up into your grill. Today we're looking at relationships and putting them into practice. I think sometimes we say, well my faith in God is a private thing to me it's an easy internal thing that's just between God and myself however that's not what Colossians would say to us the way our faith works when Christ's presence comes and dwells in us and aligns with his great story and with his great glory it ultimately should change our reality and change our circumstances and our practices as others experience it. It creates a domino effect in all of our lives, our faith, and it moves from the inside to the out. When we come to this text today, it comes to some of the, speaks to some of the most important areas of our life our relationship with the people we are closest to, and our relationship with our work life. The first thing we see today is the beautiful relationship of marriage. I realize everyone hearing this message might not be married. I have a word for you. I want to say this before I begin. Unfortunately, one of the lies of the world is is that if you are single, if you are single, you are lacking. That's a bunch of hogwash. In singleness, a person can experience abounding grace and joy. In singleness, a person can find everything needed for complete holiness and happiness in daily living. And the grace of God empowers us to live in a loving and fruitfully productive life, both in our singleness and, for some, in marriage. Every Christian is called to a life of ministry, and every Christian is called to a meaningful and loving relationship. And we are members together in the body of Christ. And we live in covenant community together with God and with each other. Persons called to marriage can also experience an abundance of grace and joy and holiness. And Christian marriage joins two people's lives in the presence of God. And the Christian husband and wife live for God. And God at the center of their marriage creates a reality that blesses all of the homes and people around them. It's characterized by sacrificial love and intimate knowledge that comes from a shared life. God intends marriage to be a means of grace for the people. Each spouse is to represent Christ to his or her mate, family, and community. My wife Kim and I, we were married right there (laughs) 29 and a half years ago. It's crazy. I can't even believe it. She's my grace on earth. Oh my gosh, Lord knows she is my grace on earth. As we cling to each other, we both try to witness the best we can the world of God's love. Is our marriage perfect? Oh, no, sir. Thanks be to God for wisdom, for forgiveness, grace, and guidance for our marriage. In the letters of Paul, marriage is on display. He writes about marriage often. And God gives us a framework for our new identity in Christ, and it works out its way in marriage. Before we dive into Paul's writing about marriage and children and bosses, let's look at the culture in which it was written. It was written in that ancient culture where women had very few rights. In this culture, women were not allowed to own property or to even own a business. And most of the weight in that culture was placed upon the man. Also in that culture, slave ownership was also a reality. And today we practice equality for all. And in the text today, Paul is writing to that culture that did not. We have to pay attention to what the Bible is saying as far as the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our current reality. And what it says for all of us, wherever we are at. Paul brings forth revolutionary thinking in his letters. And we've experienced that over the last three weeks. And what we have learned is that in Christ there's no hierarchy. The ground is level. There's no secret societies or insiders clubs. We're called to live in the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that the gospel is available to all. Whether you're a slave or free. Whether you're male or or female. And he writes this in Galatians 3.28. He says, There's no neither, there's neither no Jew nor Gentile, no slave or free, nor is there male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And in Colossians 3.11 he basically states the same. And so this is that ongoing theme that Paul carries on throughout his letters. The gospel comes in and everyone has full access to to God and the freedom from the dictates of the world that creates hierarchies. And so I write this or preach this on the backdrop with that. Secondly, God wants to speak into your circumstances with a reality of internal revolution. It means that maybe your marriage is not doing well or your kids are being difficult or you work for a boss that's not really that nice. It doesn't necessarily... Require The circumstances changing for God to revolutionize you right in the middle of those circumstances my friends And that is what's powerful about the gospel of grace The potential of the living Christ being manifest in us and manifested in our circumstances Whatever they are right now So that's the backdrop So let's begin and look at what Paul says to the household of faith He writes in Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to yourselves, to your husband, as it's fitting in the Lord. I know, as soon as some of you wives hear this, it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. You might say, wait a minute, that word, submit. And submit is a word that we love to hate. We get images, I know I get an image in my culture, of being in a mixed martial arts cage fight. And submission is the worst possible way to lose. It happens when one fighter is held down oppressively and can't escape the other fighter. And he has to tap out his hand on the mat to signify submission. And then the ref stops the mat match. Is it any wonder so many women cringe when they hear today's text? Paul never says that one person is more important than the other. But what Paul is pointing to is not this kind of cage fighting or submission. He is pointing to leadership in the home. He states that the husband is the leader in that household. And he is encouraging the wives again to come under that leadership of the husband. It doesn't mean you have to be five steps back or four layers under. It means that you recognize that God is giving structure and God is giving order for a family system. I was thinking the other day that it's probably hard to find a woman who deep down inside the layers of her heart who doesn't say, I would love to have a godly man who would lead our house, lead me and our kids. I've got some great news for every wife here or the potential of a wife out there, uh, as far as maybe becoming a wife someday, this message is not not going to add more pressure on you. It's actually going to take some pressure off of you and give it over to the husband. We're going to see that God has only one expectation, and that one expectation that you need to worry about is to glorify him by fulfilling your God-given role as a wife. Better news is is you have basic, one primary responsibility is that you respect your husband by submitting to that leadership. And I want you to remember this. How you look at your husband will determine how you live with your husband. Respecting your husband and submitting to his leadership begins with how you look at him. Do you look at your husband in his God-given position as the leader of your family, as someone that you'll respect and follow regardless of his faults or do you look at your husband and say you will only respect him and follow him when you think that he deserves it or when he meets certain criteria or conditions you see god doesn't mince words here paul doesn't do that he expects that the wife will glorify god expects that the wife will glorify him by respecting the husband and so she does that by submitting to his leadership i want to give you some practical stuff i just don't want to throw this on you and say do it i want to give you some practical stuff that you can try out sometime this week for your husband first take an opportunity to either verbally or by written note to tell him how much you appreciate all that he does for you as a husband second Take an opportunity in front of his friends to commend him, to brag on him, and to affirm him as a man. Make it a point to always be supportive of your husband and his decisions that he makes for your household. And lastly, go out of your way this week to do something extraordinarily kind for your husband to show him respect. You know, I recently recently read somewhere, someone said... When you show a man who comes home greeted by a smile, encouraged to take off his shoes and sit on a pillow arranged on the floor for him and serve a delicious meal, I'll show you a man who lives in a Japanese restaurant. You don't have to turn your house into a Japanese restaurant in order to help uh, your home to be a perfect picture. Wives, it simply means respecting your husband by voluntarily submitting, the same way that God the Son submitted to his father's leadership when God was glorified through Jesus Christ in doing that. And your husband and you will truly be blessed together. Next, Paul has a few words for husbands. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I know some of you husbands have heard that verse that we are to love our wives and you want to turn to your wife and say, Did you hear the man? I am to love on you. Let's go to Victoria's Secret right after church is over. That's not what this verse means. What Paul is talking about was radical to the max, men. When Paul wrote these words, husbands all over the church must have dropped their jaws open with amazement. You see, in the Greek culture of that day, the husband had no obligations to the wife. He was free to come and go as he pleased. And the idea that the husband had any type of responsibility in the home would have been a revolutionary concept in Paul's day. Yet every man was given this admonition to love his wife and to love no other woman but his wife. To some men... That may sound simple, but it's extremely profound for Paul to say this. Have you ever thought about the word husband and what it really means? It comes from the words house band. B-A-N-D, house band. The husband is the band that is to reach around the wife and to reach around the children and to reach around the family to protect, to provide, to defend from anything outside that can hurt or damage that family. It's all about sacrifice. And the word that Paul uses is the word agape. Husbands, agape your wife. And it's that spiritual love that is given and expects nothing in return. It's the word that Paul uses here for loving our wives is the same word that God used to describe how much he loved the world. For God so loved the world, and you recognize that, that he gave his only begotten son. It is a love That lays down life. It's a love that fights through feelings and conquers circumstances. And deals with disappointments and stays the course. I don't have to tell you. You can probably guess. That any love that stays the course in this day and age. Is going to have to make sacrifices. The type of sacrificial love that I'm talking about. Is the love that Jesus Christ has shown for you and me. Paul in another passage In Ephesians, it puts it this way. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus Christ loved this world, and he loved the church so much. He gave the most important thing he could ever give to it, his very life. Brace yourself, husbands. If you're going to love your wife the way God expects you to love your wife, you have to die to self. You've got to die to your expectations for her so you can focus on God's expectations for you. God expects you to love your wife even more than you love your own life. And that's the practical thing that we can do. So what I'm going to give you some suggestions of what to do. First of all, just turn off the ball game or the phone and give your wife your undivided, undivided attention. Show affection often. Help volunteer around the house. Pray with her. Find a couple's daily devotional and do it together. Let her choose the movie. Let her choose the restaurant. And men, this might be the biggest sacrifice of all. Give her the remote control to the TV. (laughs) Next, Paul moves on to the children. Colossians 3. 20 through 21 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. The most difficult job in the world, the most difficult role in the family is being a parent, isn't it? Why? Because obedience for children is difficult. Just like love and respect is hard in marriage, Paul knows children who are obedient though to godly parents, godly parents, will thrive spiritually and relationally and emotionally. The Bible constantly uses one word to describe to describe how parents should come into contact with their children. And that is the word train. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Children are to be obedient to that training. It's one of the commandments the good Lord gives us. The most important training is that spiritual training to strengthen that moral fortitude. Modeling is a spiritual discipline of training. Also to have clear standards and expectations for a child is huge. Kids need parameters and parents must stand by those parameters. We can't be parents, don't be loosey-goosey with, with discipline around parameters, standards, and expectations. Let the kids know the consequences of their own oh, disobedience. Paul also adds for parents not to embitter their kids, especially dads. He says don't create an environment where it's never good enough or never right enough or it's never what you wanted or never what you expected or I wish you would do more, more, more. To where it pushes a kid to the point of saying, or living, that I'm never going to be good enough. If you're a parent, understand the grace that God has given to you. And then give that source of grace to your children and operate out of it. Paul is promoting, folks, a structure for a family system. And here's a one-word summary about what Paul teaches about family. He says, wives respect, husbands love, Parents, train. Children, obey. And so Colossians proclaims throughout the whole majesty of this incredible letter that all of this is under the lordship, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Paul talks about our work, work, work life. <coughs> Excuse me. Our work life. Let's read Colossians 3:22 through 24 together. He says, "Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and, and, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters." Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. Paul's again is speaking to that culture and context where slavery exists. But I want us to look at it through the lenses. Through the lenses of the workplace. Most of our waking hours are spent in a job or vocation. And what Paul is getting at. Is a radical shift of the way we work. We look at our work. This text says, "I'm not just doing it for my boss. I'm not just doing it for the board, or the shareholder, for my manager or supervisor. No. I'm doing it as if I am working for the Lord." And Paul says, "Why?" Because I belong to God. And whatever I do in word or deed, I want to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our work, whether we're a a heart surgeon, we're doing it for God. Whether we're a teacher, we are bringing forth an offering of our work to those students. If I'm restocking shelves at Kroger, it's all done for Jesus Christ. Whatever the task, seen or unseen, it is all for God. Because God is in me. And God is with me, and I am with him. The work that we do carries on significance and meaning when we do it for God. Why? Because in verse 24, it says God sees everything and awards faithful work. Maybe when you get recognized or receive a bonus or accommodation at work, and people give you a chance to say something, state why you do it. You do it for the Lord. Folks, be encouraged to find that purpose in your work and in your families, in the mundane. And we work for his glory, his honor, and his fame. And we do it all to exalt him. This year, let's live in these truths at the forefronts of our minds. So let's put it into practice this week. Let's take a look at this together. This is what our practice is. Evaluate your relationship through God's perspective. And what does God desire from each of them? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you any relationships in which you are not being faithful to what God desires. What are their struggles and challenges in that relationship? And how can you better honor the Lord and honor people in your relationships? Today we place dominoes outside the doorway there you can grab them there's a couple tables with dominoes on them and we encourage you to take a sharpie and dig through colossians and pull out that one verse that spoke to you today and then take those dots and put it on the domino i already did it well it's already on there it's the it's from the domino i took colossians 3 colossians 3 2 keeping my mind set on the heavenly realms so that Christ can work in my mind and all that I do. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here as we minister in your holy name to all that we do. God, intersect and fill our family systems with your love and with your Spirit's promptings. Fill our marriages with grace and our singleness in the way in which we work, in the way in which we raise our children and our households. God, may we utilize your standards, your call, and Lord, especially draw from your holiness in our living. God, teach us, minister to us through the dynamic ways the Holy Spirit can give our hearts and our minds and our soul guidance and direction. God, we thank you for this series. We thank you and we pray that we would have a domino effect in this world and that our these spiritual practices, no matter how small, would grow into something larger and these dominoes would fall and make cataclysmic things happen around us through our faith in you. We love you and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.